Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a chief compliance officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Before we get to John Mellican, a quick word from our sponsor. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox welcoming you back to our fourth and final episode of The Compliance Life uh, this month with John Mellican. John, first of all, welcome back. Great to be back, Tom. So, John, uh, today we're going to talk about your move into the consulting world as you move over to Exeter. And I'm always intrigued to be able to visit with someone like yourself who is uh, sat in the CCO chair and then has taken that experience into the consulting world to help other compliance professionals and other CCOs. So I was wondering if I could start with maybe how do you see uh, both your your corporate experience and your CCO experience and, and those uh, similarly situated to yourself uh, really help uh, you in your role now uh, at Exeter and as more of a consultant? Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, you know, consulting has come in a lot of shapes and forms and sizes over the years. Uh, the, the way we approach it at Exger and, the, and the, the unique way that we came about as an organization has really lent itself to being, you know, more practitioners of compliance, particularly around AML, uh, going into consulting. So we've come to this. You know, there are some consulting firms that have come to it where there's a, you know, a predominance of former regulators. There's some that are, you know, uh, predominance of former you know, accountants. Um, but Exger comes to it really from a point of view of a lot of former uh, compliance professionals coming into consulting. And our goal really was to go back to that same community of compliance professionals at financial institutions and uh, corporations uh, and really apply the skills that we had acquired over, you know, 10 or 15 years uh, inside corporates and inside financial institutions, you know, from myself and, and my colleagues um, to helping those same um, organizations, but now as consultants as opposed to uh, inside counsel or compliance folks. John, I wanted to ask, uh, what are two or three of the biggest challenges you uh, now help CCOs with or two of the big, two or three of the biggest challenges you see for a CCO uh post-COVID, if I could say we're at post-COVID, or at least Delta variant post-COVID, um, kind of in the, the world you have it now as a consultant, what are you really seeing are some of the biggest challenges for CCOs? Yeah, I, and it has changed tremendously over the years. I mean, I've been with Exeter about seven years now, and we've seen it change. I mean, initially, it was uh, far more reaction to regulatory activity. 
something has happened inside a financial institution or inside a corporation, and now there's a reaction which required people or technology to come in and either solve a problem or review a problem and put it to bed. Uh, that historically has been, you know, uh, the mainstay of a lot of the consulting in this area inside BSA ML and compliance consulting uh, for anti-corruption and bribery, as well as, you know, most other facets of financial crime. What we're seeing now really challenging the CCOs is how do we do that and how do we accomplish all the numerous businesses usual um, activities that we have to do perfectly and regularly? How do we do that more efficiently? So it really has gone from being uh, uh, consulting to help remediate or revise or fix particular issues to how do we strengthen programs and help them operate more efficiently. You know, the best example that I can give is for anyone who's been inside uh, an, you know, an institution where you have to periodically refresh things, such as a KYC file or your diligence on a third-party vendor, how do you do that repetitive task? How do you do it perfectly? How do you do it at the highest level or at least at the level that's expected by the regulators? And how do you do that now with more efficiency, i.e. less cost or less people? And that's really the challenge that we see is, is hitting most of the, the COOs at this time. So we had a major update to the Patriot Act passed on uh, January 1 of 2021, the AML law of 2020. Uh, how has that changed things? Uh, if I could focus a little bit more on the AML compliance world that uh, you also worked extensively in. Yeah, the, the AMLA uh, is a really, really fascinating uh, document. There have been a couple of uh, uh, good uh, sort of webinars on that. And, uh, you know, I think if folks who are interested in it should really go back and, and, and take a look at some of the ones that specifically focus on it. There's so much to talk about in there that you really can't touch on it uh, in any depth. But really, uh, there's a, a build out of a huge structure inside the, the US government now that supposedly is going to uh, allow corporations to register their beneficial ownership. That's one huge portion of it. And then other uh, uh, portions focus on these strategic priorities that the government's now gonna lay out for uh, financial institutions that are required to follow the BSA. Uh, it's gonna give them these new priorities to focus on. So there's a lot of questions in both of those things of how we're going to react to this new registry that's being created, how you're going to operationalize the use of information uh, from that registry, how that's going to coordinate with what you're already doing to collect beneficial ownership inside your existing institution. What are we going to do with these new priorities? How much change is that going to drive through financial institutions and their compliance organizations? And then there's some really fascinating stuff about the, the reach of the U.S. government being able to reach through banks uh, that, that really don't have any connection to the, the United States and, and, and grab uh, customer information from uh, banks all over the world, which will be challenged in the courts, I'm sure, extensively. But it should be fascinating to see how, see how that plays out. One of the uh, initiatives from the Biden administration was a, a fairly broad statement on different components of national security issues. And I don't think it would surprise anyone that uh, AML, money laundering, uh, uh, financial terrorism, or, or financing rather of financial terrorism uh, was a part of that statement. It's been a part of that 
that sort of discussion since the Patriot Act. But the Biden administration also identified uh, corruption, bribery and corruption as uh, in the national security interests of the United States. I would uh, would have assumed that you and your kind of AML colleagues over the years have, have had those discussions and understand how uh, AML and, and the fight against uh, terrorism, uh, financing of terrorism is part of our national security. But have you had those discussions with other disciplines within either a corporate compliance function or corporate executives to help them understand this broader approach that the Biden administration uh, seems to be? Yeah, I think I think you identified it right there. I mean, they are taking an incredibly broad approach. You know, the um, bringing in anti-corruption and bribery uh, has been key, really widening the scope of what's considered, uh, you know, important to the national interest. You've always had sanctions there as a critical component of U- U.S. foreign policy. Really, the Biden administration, and, and you'd know better than, than myself, their focus on anti-corruption has really widen that uh, scope of what's important for the corporations. I think that's critical. Knowing who your uh, counterparties are, knowing who your suppliers are, avoiding the entanglements of corruption, I think is is critical for you know, your listeners and their roles inside corporations. But it's also critical for the United States not to, you know, not to become entangled in that. I think uh, the other thing that the Biden administration really did was they focused on, you've seen some of the the uh, policy around supply chain, uh, where they're looking at U.S. corporations to force the U.S. corporations to look very carefully about their supply chain, who they're doing business with, in which countries, how do you know where the the components of our power grid are coming from? Where are the components that go into our industrial military base coming from? Where are corporations securing their important uh, supplies from? And, you know, who are we doing business with? That all ties back in very closely to anti-corruption. You can look at the, uh, you know, the, the 5G or the 4G issues uh, that have come out, you know, in, in who's supplying the infrastructure for the next generation of, uh, of cellular communications. That's become uh, a corruption issue in the past, but it's now become a national security issue pretty much globally. And I think the Biden administration has done a fairly decent job of really uh, drawing attention to those issues and really widening the focus of compliance professionals inside both financial institutions and corporates. Uh, John, unfortunately, we are drawing near the end of this episode and and the entire series. But I wanted to conclude by asking you, where do you see compliance, AML compliance or or other compliance in in 2025 and beyond? We had a, a in the ABC world, we had a huge jump in the use of data and technology. I know that had been a part of the AML compliance world uh, somewhat earlier, but looking down the road, where do you see uh, any of these compliance uh, disciplines headed? You know, I wish I knew in particular. I think you're right about the jump in technology. We've seen it across the board. What is reasonable uh, is that that definition has changed over time. You know, the reasonable belief as to the true identity of your customer, a reasonable understanding of your supplier, a reasonable understanding of your counterparty, that's changed tremendously over the last five to 10 years with, you know, the the incredible uh, access that you get through the Internet and automated translation and uh, use of artificial intelligence to read through the Internet and to identify issues. That's been tremendous. I think the next five years is going to be, again, the same acceleration, the use of uh, artificial intelligence, natural language processing, all the, the things that you know we, we spend a lot of time here at Exger on. 
are going to be applied to all aspects of compliance, not only to bring down the costs of compliance that have notoriously you know, ballooned, but it's also going to improve the quality of compliance because the computers can do things, you know, frankly, better, faster sometimes and, and more accurately than, than what people have been tasked with over the last five or ten years. Well, John, unfortunately, now we are at the end of our time, but I wanted to thank you. This has been a fascinating exploration, uh, not really uh, not simply the twists and turns of your career, but the progression you've made, the relationships you've developed, how you've utilize those relationships or somewhat sometimes those relationships utilize you to to help you move to a, a new and bigger challenge so i wanted to thank you for taking this time to visit with me and uh, conclude by asking if anyone wanted uh, any more information on yourself or the topics we've touched on in this podcast series where could they go i think uh the extra website extra.com i think is the best place to go and you know thanks again for having me tom really appreciate the you know the conversation and uh, hope to talk again soon. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you will join me again next week where I take up another episode in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of The Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.